It's 2004. You probably were either freaking out over what Ryan and Marissa were up to on the OC, were rocking your newest pair of Skechers, or listening to the legendary debut album from No Doubt frontwoman Gwen Stefani, titled Love Angel Music Baby. This was a risky effort for the Queen of Ska, since she had already earned worldwide fame and appeal for her music with the other members of No Doubt. But it was around this time that many artists from other groups were going solo, i.e. Beyonce, Justin Timberlake, etc. So Gwen decided to take her chance at a pop album. And the result? a pop masterpiece. Join us this week as we take a dive into the Love Angel Music Baby era, Harajuku Girls and all. The era that gifted us six top singles, iconic music videos, performances, a tour, a clothing line, a perfume line. If you can create it, Gwen most likely did it during this era. You're listening to Planet 2000s. I'm your host, Michael Kadosh, and get ready for a trip down memory lane with Gwen Stefani. I promise you, this shit is gonna be bananas. B-A-N-A, okay, you get it. Hey everybody, my name is Michael Kadosh and I'm here to welcome you all to Planet 2000s, a place where we celebrate pop music's most iconic moments from the most iconic decade in pop music history. Let's dive in. Hey everybody, my name is Michael Kadosh and welcome to a brand new episode of Planet 2000s. I'm so excited to dive in this week because we are going to be talking about one of my favorite artists and one of my favorite albums of all time. It is Gwen Stefani's Love Angel Music Baby. The album was released on November 12, 2004, making me, I think, in the fourth grade around that time. And it was my soundtrack. From What You Waiting For to Rich Girl, Hollaback Girl, Cool, Luxurious. All of these hits still to this day are on my replay playlist and I hear them around everywhere. And this album has really stood the test of time. And so for that reason, I'm so excited to get into it with all of you guys. So without further ado, let's get started. Now to understand how important this album was to Gwen. You have to know the journey she went on to get here. Now, Gwen didn't start off as a solo artist. You know, this was not her first album as a musician. She was already a star at this point because she was in the band, no doubt. And they had been together for over 10 years at this point, sold 33 million records worldwide, won two Grammys, number one singles, and pretty much achieved the most amount of success that you can achieve in the pop world. And they weren't even a pop band. They were a ska band. They were able to make the transition into, you know, more mainstream music just because of how many fans they had. Their first album that hit the mainstream was Tragic Kingdom back in 1995, which is the year I was born. Thank you very much. And the album was certified diamond in the US and sold 16 million copies worldwide. It actually helped to initiate a huge revival of ska music that was happening in the 90s. And this album in result persuaded record labels to sign more bands that were making this type of music and it helped them become more mainstream. So no doubt can really take the reins for being the ones responsible for the huge ska revival in the 90s. And Gwen was the lead singer of the band. She already achieved a lot of success, so many people were wondering why was it that she wanted to take the chance and go make a solo album because not everybody's Beyonce and not everybody's Justin Timberlake and is going to leave their group or band or whatnot and become a huge star. You know, you have a lot of cases of situations where that didn't happen. It could have gone either way for Gwen, but I know how talented she is just from everything that she's put out. And I think that with her songwriting skills and her imagination, she was able to make something that was quite magical. Things started changing in the band when people started marrying people because I, I think like we grew up and your priorities start changing at that point I mean for all those years we were married to each other we were seriously committed and like it's incredible what we we did to stay together and the kind of like um, commitment we had but 
we're not broken up or nothing like that. We just took a break from each other to get inspired and to try some new things before we die. And like everybody's doing their own projects. And one thing that Tony and I talked about when we were on the Rocksteady tour was we had heard like a Club Nouveau song. um, And we were like, wouldn't it be fun to do a dance record? And so it was a small idea that kind of snowballed. And I'm not calling it a solo record. I kind of wish I could call it my solo record, but my ego is much too big for that. And I can't claim it as my own because it's really like... You know, I was driving the car. I had the idea, something, a very specific kind of record I wanted to make. But, I mean, let's face it, it's a big collaboration between all these amazing, talented people and songwriters that I went in with to see, like, take myself out of my comfort zone, out of my little family that I've always written songs with and see what it would be like to work with new people just to challenge myself. So um, that's what the record is. And I'm really proud of it. And it was really hard, but it was you know, I think it was totally worth it. And my ego still hurts like from doing it. So here we are. So when it came time for Gwen to make this album, she knew that she wanted to make a dance record because it was something that she had never dreamed she could do. You know, with no doubt, it was very Scott, it was very rock. There was a little bit of reggae influence, but it was never straight dance pop. She got the idea to make a dance pop record. One night she was listening to one of her ex-boyfriend and ex-bandmate, <laughs> We'll get into that a little later. Uh, Tony was jamming to some 80s music and she was like, we need to make an album just like this. And he was like, all right, let's see what I can do. You know, and along with him, she got together with Andre 3000, Dallas Austin, Dr. Dre, Nelly Hooper, Linda Perry, and many more amazing artists to create this album. Obviously, it was a huge success for her. But, you know, the journey to making it wasn't so easy for her. She goes on to say that she experienced a lot of writer's block and she was nervous. You know, she was very nervous about going solo because, like I said earlier, it could have gone either way for her. One of my favorite stories of her talking about just the process of making the record is when she talks about her experience working with Linda Perry. Linda Perry is the lady who wrote Beautiful by Christina Aguilera and she was a lead singer of the Four Non Blondes and they had a one hit back in 1992, you know. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, hey, what's going on? I would play the song, but, you know, we don't want to get sued. So you'll have to endure with my voice. But all this to say is she was very talented. She is, you know, still a very talented songwriter and musician. And she worked with Gwen and she told her one day, she was like, Gwen, what the fuck are you waiting for? Just fucking do it. Just make this music. And, you know, then we got what you're waiting for. You know, it was the second song that I wrote. Um, I went in the studio with Linda Perry. She's the first person I went in the studio with. It was kind of like... um, probably premature, like I had just gotten off tour, I was really burnt out. I I wanted to go in, but I didn't want to go in, and I wanted to do the record, but I wanted to sleep. Um, I kept having this real pressure of this clock that kept ticking really loudly in my ears because you feel in your life like you get to a certain stage where you're like, oh my God, I'm running out of time, life's going so quick, and you know, we just put our greatest hits out, you know, it's just it's like, what's going on? Like, it's going so quick. So I got in the studio and we wrote this song together called Fine By You that was all about, I don't want to be inspired. I don't want to call anyone. I just want to lay around in my bed. And then the next day I came in and Linda Perry had like worked on this track all night and kind of pressed play and was like, what you waiting? And it was just like crazy dare to me. Like, Gwen, what the fuck are you waiting for? You know, like get started, let's go. And it, it kind of just triggered me. And uh, we had this magical chemistry that day and we wrote this song and we wrote it and I was like I just wrote my first single like it was so clear because it was everything I was feeling about explaining to myself about making the record and I never really thought it could be the first single but it actually ended up being the first single so the album was definitely very 80s pop inspired and you know like I said earlier she spoke about her ex-boyfriend Tony and how he was very 
inspired by that 80s music and that's how they got you know there's a song called crash that they worked on together and she very much based her aesthetics and sound on that time and that era now gwen and tony always had a very very interesting relationship and it's not one that you see very often in music or in life in general let's just be honest so you know to give a little backstory Gwen and Tony were dating back in the late 80s early 90s when No Doubt first got together and that's how she became a part of the band you know her boyfriend and her brother were in a band together and they were like you know you want to be a part of this and of course with her spark and her talent she took it to a whole other level but by the time their breakthrough album Tragic Kingdom was being created and almost finished her and tony had broken up you know he broke up with her essentially we don't know all the details but you know she's essentially said he was going to be a rock star and he couldn't make her that promise anymore to be you know together and so they stayed in that band together and that's how we got the song don't speak which became their biggest hit this leads me into a song on the album called cool so dallas austin who was a producer for tlc tells this story about how the song cool came about so he said he was listening to a no doubt song called simple kind of life and for all my no doubt fans, you know, that's a classic Gwen and Tony love triangle story. You know, he was saying, wow, I don't know how they're able to work together. You know, after being together for so long and having such a deep relationship and it being over, how, you know, it didn't complicate things, like how they can do that. And he was looking at them in awe because Dallas Austin is one of the main producers for TLC. He was with them from the beginning and Dallas Austin dated Chili from TLC. He was kind of comparing it to his situation and he was like, I don't know how they can do that. So when he wrote the song Cool, he tried to do it with Chili for TLC and then they were like, he was like, I can't do this. This is torture. And then he tried to give it to Christina Aguilera, which we learned, which was really cool. But he ended up giving it to Gwen and he was like, you know that when I wrote the song, I was inspired by you and the song Simple Kind of Life. And she was listening to it and she said, wow, like this is the trilogy of my relationship with Tony. Don't speak Simple Kind of Life into Cool. So after me and uh, me and Rosanda, me and Chili broke up from TLC, um, then I started, you know, I started writing these songs. And I didn't write the song for them. I wrote the song for Christina Aguilera, actually. Mm. But it ended up being held. And Jasper was like, uh, "Well, you're going to work with TLC. You should play them cool." I'm like, "That's the last fucking thing I want to do." Because I wrote "Cool," being like inspired by "Simple Kind of Life," because me and Rosanda was working together. I was like, "Now I know we're cool." You know what I'm saying? We finally got to the point. I know you're your usher dating. Now I'm cool. But I don't want to sing this shit with TLC. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that ain't, ain't going to happen. So L.A. heard the song. was like, you got to put this song on TLC. I'm like, no fucking way. I'm going to shoot myself. So I go in the studio with them to try to cut it. And she's there with me. And she's like, yeah, remember this? Remember that? And I'm like, where's the gun? I just want to shoot myself right now. This is the worst experience ever to be working in the studio with you on this fucking song. So I told him I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I'll do another song. So I wrote another song called Damaged. Fast forward, years later, Gwen, Steph- Gwen Stefani called me and she was like, um, well, uh, I want to work with you. And I said, all right, well, cool. Uh, I got this song I want to play you. And it was inspired by you and Tony. And maybe you'll like it and we can fix it for you. And I played it for her. She says, oh, shit. This is the third level to Simple Kind of Life. This is the conclusion of me and Tony's life. I'm like, great, that's what we make, and we did it, and it turned into cool. And Gwen has always been so respectful of Tony, and they've been so respectful of each other, and they ended up doing three more songs on the album together, Luxurious, Crash, and Serious. And so Tony has always been a huge, huge part of Gwen's career and her music, and they've been able to have a very amicable relationship, which is quite admirable, and not many of us can say that about our exes, let's just be honest. So props to Gwen and Tony for that. 
and for teaching us all a lesson. Of course, so when it comes to the music of the Love Angel Music Baby era, we all know that Hall of That Girl was that track. Pharrell and Gwen had already done some work together for No Doubt on the Rocksteady album. They did hella good together. When she asked him to come back to work on this you know, album, they were like, all right, let's see what we can do. And, you know, why don't I just let Gwen tell you about how she found it? I just, I knew what I wanted to write about. Mm -hmm. And I had the idea that I wanted to, everybody was like, the idea of being called a cheerleader to me would be like insulting. Like, And yet you have like kind of classic cheerleader looks, right? (laughs) Well, I kind of play off all of those things, but I'm saying like, I wanted, I wanted it to be like this kind of cheerleader thing. And so he goes, finally, he just goes, oh, you mean like, oh, I think I have this beat. And he just gets this little keyboard and starts doing this beat. And I said, wow. what do you mean you just think you have this beat? Like, where was it? Like, you how did he didn't bring it out till now? Well, like, why doesn't he bring it out? Because he's crazy. Yeah, right. In other words, he had this ready for you, but yet he doesn't. I don't know. I feel like I he forgot it about it. Well, maybe. And it's always those songs that are the ones that become the biggest hits. You just know. You just know. And, you know, they heard that beat and they knew it was it was it fun fact about the song in case you guys didn't know what it's actually about so courtney love for those of you who don't know who courtney love is take a break from this podcast and look her up (laughs) she is the lead singer of the band hole and she was married to kurt cobain and when he died you know she was his widow and whatnot so she had a very bad reputation in the 90s and 2000s for kind of being a drunk party girl lots of drugs in and out of rehab she was always that party girl in the media and she did not like Gwen Stefani. She thought that Gwen Stefani was too pop. Because remember that Hole and No Doubt were at the time the same, basically the same genre. So Courtney Love being the female lead singer of Hole and Gwen Stefani being the female lead singer of No Doubt. You know, they were kind of like in the media pit against each other. Think Britney Christina vibes. And so Courtney Love said in an interview once, she was like, Gwen is pretty much a cheerleader and she doesn't have any substance. And so Gwen went to Pharrell with that and she was like, there's something about being called a cheerleader that I don't like. And then he was like, hold on, I got something. And they created the cheerleaders anthem. So tell me that's not the best diss that your haters that you could ever have. It's basically about saying I'm not a hollaback girl. Like I'm not going to hollaback at you when you hate on me. But you know, maybe not up front, but the song basically was a diss to Courtney Love and it was legendary for that. And so best diss track ever. Thank you guys for tuning into Planet 2000s. I just wanted to take a minute to let you guys know where you can find me on social media. You can follow the Planet 2000s Instagram page at Planet 2000s if you guys want to get updates on the podcast or different pop culture moments from the era. Or you can hit me up on my personal Instagram and Twitter at Michael Kadush. If there's one thing that everybody who was alive and very much a part of music in that time of 2004, 2005, when Love Angel Music Baby first came out. You obviously know that the aesthetics for the album were a huge, huge part of not just the promotion of the album, but just the overall vibe, the performances, the interviews, the outfits, everything was Gwen's vision to a T. Now, the number one thing that people obviously remember about that era were her backup dancers, her Harajuku girls. 16 years later, the conversation is definitely a little bit different about what's acceptable and what's not. It is obvious that with social media and everything that's been going on in the world, people are a lot more opinionated than they were at one time. And so the Harajuku girls have been coming in question of whether or not Gwen was a part of cultural appropriation for Japanese culture. And, you know, there's a lot of ways that one can look at it. If you look back in the days, like back to 15 years ago, when it was first happening, there were always like discussions of whether or not it was acceptable or not, but it wasn't as mainstream. However, you know, Margaret Cho, who was a very famous comedian, she did criticize Gwen and she said that the group 
of Harajuku girls were, quote-unquote, reinforcing negative ethnic stereotypes of Asian women. And one of the actual Harajuku girls herself stated that Gwen was simply inspired by Japanese fashion culture and that she felt honored to have been in the group. And it's interesting if you now look at today... Just last year, 2019, Gwen was sitting down for an interview with Billboard to celebrate the 15 years of Love Angel Music Baby, and they flat out asked her, they're like, listen, it's a different time. What are your thoughts on people saying that this is cultural appropriation? You know, your Harajuku girls and all of that, because she had a song as well about the Harajuku girls and whatnot. And Gwen said, and I quote, When Harajuku Girls first came out, I think people understand that it was an artistic and literal bow down to a culture that I was a super fan of. I wanted to write a song that talked about my love for Harajuku. When you're from Anaheim and never traveled outside of your city until you're 21 years old, it's really crazy to go to Japan. It was my fantasy. When I got there and saw how fashion obsessed they were, I thought they were my people because my style was so unique. I get a little defensive when people call it cultural appropriation because if we didn't allow each other to share our cultures, what would we be? When the Harajuku girls came out, it was like, you're not even real, you're a dream. It wasn't like, you're not real because you're Asian. Are you kidding me? That would be horrifying. And there you have it, you guys. You know, she says flat out that she was inspired by culture and by fashion. And if we can't honor amazing cultures in the world, then what would we be? And I know I do definitely see her side to it. I'm not going to say that I don't see the side of the people who oppose to it because, you know, of course, it can be a little bit cringe at moments. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of things of this nature have to do with intent. And I truly believe that her intent was to honor and to pay homage. And for that reason, you know, I, you know, I adore Gwen Stefani and I don't think that she meant any harm. And I I think that, you know, Japanese fashion and Japanese culture is beautiful myself as well. You know, I even did a whole project on Japan back in the fourth, fifth grade. I may have been inspired by the Harajuku girls because I was a huge Gwen fan. My friend Rachel, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what project I'm talking about. Amazing. You know, I obviously I have an Instagram page at Planet 2000. So if you guys want to sound off and give your opinions, I would love to see what everyone's thinking about all of this. And, you know, that being said, Gwen continued on with the Harajuku girls in that era. You know, the tour was called the Harajuku Lovers Tour. She had a clothing line and a perfume line, both called Harajuku Lovers back in 2005. And the perfume was pretty much still going up until this decade. As far as the tour is concerned, the Harajuku Lovers Tour, that was a legendary show. The Black Eyed Peas, MIA, and Sierra were the opening acts. And it's crazy to think, you know, that you could see Black Eyed Peas and Sierra opening for Gwen Stefani in the same concert. Like, that's pretty iconic if you ask me but my favorite moment from this tour and i'm gonna see if i can find this clip kylie jenner was maybe seven or eight years old and she went to the show and at the end of the show when gwen would do holla back girl she would have a whole bunch of fans on stage and you know when they would be like you know i know holla back girl you know she would give the microphone to the different kids on stage and kylie jenner was on bruce jenner's shoulders at eight years old screaming i know holla back girl on stage with gwen kind of crazy those moments um, but it just goes to show you that music is just so it brings people together and you know I think Kylie had reposted that a couple of years ago and yeah the tour was amazing and she you know she did 42 shows in North America it was sold out she was pregnant on the road it is actually on DVD and I've had it on DVD for my whole pretty much my whole life since it came out in 2005 or 6 the DVD was in 2006 concert was in 2005 but all this to say is I've been a fan of this show forever like I know every song she performed and it was quite legendary let me let me tell you. In terms of accolades and sales for this 
album. It was impressive, quite impressive. You know, the album ended up selling 7 million copies worldwide. Certified three times platinum in the USA is due to be four times platinum because it passed the 4 million mark a couple of years ago. So RIAA, Interscope Records, get your shit together and give my Quinn her fourth platinum record. Thank you very much. The album was a number one album on Australia and it hit the top 10 in Canada, UK, USA, New Zealand, Sweden, Mexico, and many other countries. It was incredibly, incredibly successful. There were six singles released from the album. Holla Back Girl went number one. Rich Girl went top 10. And then you had Cool, Luxurious that were top 40 singles as well. She was nominated for six Grammys. She didn't win any of the Grammys that year, but you know, she definitely made a beautiful appearance because she was very pregnant and looked absolutely stunning at the show. I think that the most impressive thing about this album was the influence that it had on artists around that time. So 2004, this is post, like we're talking just right after the Y2K pop era of NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, and then there was a huge R&B and hip hop resurgence with 50 Cent and Ja Rule and whatnot. And so pop was in a very interesting space. And then Gwen kind of took it and, you know, mixed it with some urban contemporary and kind of created this like pop R&B vibe. Next thing you know, you get Fergie you get Nelly Furtado releasing their albums Duchess and Loose that are pretty much the same vibe as Love Angel Music Baby. A lot of musicians and music journalists have stated in many publications, Gwen was the start of this kind of new era of pop music and she walked so they could run. Or if it's run so they could walk, (laughs) whatever the saying is. You know, she kind of started that and she deserves her props for that. And I think that it's hits like Holla Back Girl and Britney did it a little bit with the I'm a Slave for You and noticed that they were both produced by the Neptune. So Pharrell, the king, you know, if you really want to talk about who started all of this and this new genre, it really is Pharrell. So we have to give him his props. I'm definitely going to have to do an episode on Pharrell's music at some point because he is one of the most genius producers that I've ever seen. And I adore his work with Gwen. He ended up working with her on her next album as well. But we'll save that for another episode, darling. So all this to say is Love Angel Music Baby stood the test of time. It is one of the best pop albums of the, not just of the 2000s, but if you ask me, I truly think it's one of the best pop albums. If somebody were to come up to me and ask me what, I'm just starting to listen to get into pop music. I've never really been a fan. Give me like three albums. And I truly feel like I would say Love Angel Music Baby as one of them because like Gwen said, she really wanted to make every song be like it could be a single. I wanted to try to find out if I could make a record that every single song on the record could be a single. No art tracks, no like, you know, every song had to be completely addictive and like ABCs, like the guilty pleasure, you know, like even if you hated me or my what I've done in the past, You'd be like, oh, oh my God, not that song. I don't like this song. I can't help it. You know, I wanted to make that happen. And I think you did that, Gwen, because every song is a gem and that's why it was so successful. I hope you guys enjoyed the trip down memory lane today. Now, I know what I'm about to do. I'm about to go dive into a world of Harajuku girls and rich girls and luxury and hollaback girls and whatnot. And I'm going to jam out to the album. And I hope you guys do the same thing, too. I'm Mike Kudosh and this is Planet 2000s. I'll see you guys in a few weeks. Have a lovely, lovely day. (laughs) 